So if you don't know me, my name is Richard Self. Uh, I am one of our elders here at Double Up Community Church in Chelsea. And, uh, you know, in addition to Ben coming on and being an amazing leader and all those things, Michael's excited that he doesn't have to say myself and Richard Self as closely together uh, as, as he has in the past. So he's got some, another name to go in there. And I'd also like to say that Brad may be the best seconder in our whole church. That was amazing, brother. I appreciate you. So, look, guys, the other thing I really want to be thankful for is, you know, we have a bunch of folks up here that use their gift to, to lead us in worship. I'm really thankful for all the talented people that we have that have a desire to lead us in worship. I appreciate you guys. I'm jealous of you guys. I have zero talent, zero skill, zero ability. Uh, I was telling the first service that I, I made, uh, set a goal at the beginning of the year to learn how to play the guitar. And the, the problem is that year was 2015. So it's a real issue. And then Paxson's guitar broke, and I'm like, man, this is not going to be great. They're going to think that I was up here tinkering with a guitar. So I want to jump in. I want to tell you guys a story before we get started. So many of you may have seen uh, this story before. There's a guy named Dick Hoyt, and he has a son named Rick, who is a quadriplegic. So Rick, the son, asked his dad one time, he said, hey, do you think we can run in a five-mile fun run? And his dad said, yeah. Yeah, we'll do it. So his dad, not a runner, not an athlete, doesn't do these things, but they do it. So they go, they, they run the race, and they finish next to last. As you can imagine, not being a runner, not doing these things, having, the, you know, pushing a wheelchair, challenging, right? So the rest of their story is that in the last 37 years, they finished 32 Boston Marathons, right? And in my world, there's a 0% chance that I could ever finish one Boston Marathon. So you look at the love that this dad has, and you look at the energy and the effort and the commitment that he did for his son. And, and by the way, I think this was like a game day segment that I saw one time. You guys who, who likes football in here? Everybody, because if you have citizenship in Alabama, it's a requirement. So it's a game day segment. If you know me and my wife, you know that when, when these emotional stories come on, Jen's going to lean into it, and she's going to sit and watch the whole thing and cry. And I'm going to find something to grill, and I'm going to take the food outside, and I'm going to start the grill because I don't want to experience this emotion. I'm going to just avoid it altogether. So, you know, Dick goes on. He becomes a motivational speaker. He travels the country. He tells her story. He inspires people. It's an amazing story. And you get to the end, and you say, why? Why would this guy do that? Well, it's very simple. He did it because he wanted his son to believe that he could do anything. He didn't want his son to live with those limitations that people saw when they looked at him. He wanted his son to have hope, and he dedicated his life to it. And there's a statue of these guys, and there's a little plaque that says, yes, you can. Because anytime somebody says you can't, he would say, yes, you can. So we're going to talk about hope today, guys. We're going to dive into some hope. Uh, we're also going to talk about why. I want to talk about the why behind a lot of the things that we do, behind a lot of the things that we read, and behind a lot of the things that we believe. So it's going to be like living with a two-year-old. If you've ever raised a two-year-old, you heard why about 10,000 times a day. Not in your lifetime, a day. So we're going to ask why a lot today, and we're going to walk right through that. It's critical that you understand why. So last week, Michael... Um, and Titus 2 talked about sound doctrine and the need to teach sound doctrine and the need to understand sound doctrine. Now, the question is, why? 
Well, we need to know Scripture for a couple of reasons. One, we believe that it's God-breathed. We believe it's inerrant. We believe it's perfect. And because the writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is central to all of the things that we do, right? We can take away the chairs. We can take away heating and cooling, lights, stage, building, right? And we can still have the spirit of God and the word of God, and we'll be a church because we're the people of God, right? It's central to the things that we do. You start walking through, what do we do? Why do we baptize? Because Scripture tells us to. We learn in Scripture, that's what we do. Why do we come to communion today? Why do we come to the communion table? Because we're taught that. We're informed that in Scripture. So the things that we do, the ways in, the, in which we act, we do that because we find it in Scripture. That's why we sing. It's why we give. It's why we do a lot of the different things that we do in here. It's why we pray. It's in a lot of ways how we pray. We learn how to pray in Scripture. We're to pray Scripture. We're to withdraw like Jesus and pray. We're supposed to do these things. So today, as we're walking through, I want you guys to think about why. I want you to have that in mind. And every time you see the word but, or every time you see the phrase so that, I want you to underline it or mark it or whatever your, your method is. Those are some key phrases that we're going to kind of live in today. So with that said, let's be informed and instructed by the Word of God today. I'm going to read the entire uh, third chapter of Titus, and then we're going to kind of walk through that. All right, here we go. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that... Being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless." As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful." All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord, to which we say, thanks be to God. So guys, this is the beauty of the gospel. We, we talk in here about the gospel. We would say that we want to be gospel people. 
We want to be gospel-centered. We want to believe in, live in, and live out the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel that we need to get, guys. We have a God that saves us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And he saves us so that we can be heirs with hope to eternal life. And so that we can devote ourselves to good works, right? This is the beautiful thing about the gospel. So interesting thing, we're, we're going to show a, uh, a little slide up here. So Titus 1, uh, he's establishing church leadership, uh, talking about what's going on in the church. 2 is home, and it's really expanded from the home. I kept it, bless you, I kept it very short at home. And then today we're going to talk about how we behave in, in the world. So what's really interesting is we're studying a book of the Bible that talks about the importance of church leadership, that talks about qualifications of church leadership on a day in which we are voting for a new elder. It's amazing to serve a sovereign God. Amen? All right. So we are going to kind of talk through some of this. And, and look, here's the deal, guys. I don't do this every week. You know what I need? I need some interaction. I want some hands raised. I want some feedback. If I ask questions, I would love you greatly if you would answer it. And it's okay. We've got freedom in here. I know we were raising some hands when we were singing. You guys are free to do what you want to do. All right. So now the fun thing about the slide is that you don't just go from here to here to here, right? You go back and forth between all those things. You go from the church, you go to the world, you go home, you go back and forth and all these things. So we all exist in those things. Now, a fun thing about voting on Ben today, like a little confession for me, I really tried to talk Ben's kids into voting nay, um, but Ben and Kylie are really good parents, and their kids are amazing, and they just would not fall for my shenanigans, so which made me sad, but also very proud of them for doing, doing the right thing. All right, so we're going to talk a lot about that today. So Paul starts by telling Titus to remind them to be submissive of rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready for every good work. Not to speak evil, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and perfect, courtesy toward all people. So I'm getting ready for this, and I'm like, man, I know like a lot of people in our church. Like, I know a lot of our folks. I'm looking around. Got a lot of friends in here, a lot of people I know. I was like, I kind of think I can skip this, right? Because like nobody in here has trouble submitting to authorities, right? Like we don't exist in that space. Nobody in here struggles to do that. Nobody in here ever forgets things, right? So I was like, I'll skip it. And then I thought, well, Paul said, remind them. So there might be like one person in addition to me that needs to hear this. So anybody in here ever have someone remind you of things? I'm going to look at this section over here. You ever have people that remind you to do things? Don't forget. Remember, right? Hey, here's the deal. It's not just you guys. It's us. We all forget stuff, right? This is the world in which we live in. So then you get to why. So why does he remind people? Why do we need to be reminded? So you, if you look through Scripture, you see these phrases all the time. They say, they soon forgot. We're looking in the Old Testament. They soon forgot. They didn't remember. Remind them, right? So let's, let's test my little interaction that I want today, okay? It should be unanimous. Raise your hand if you've ever need to be reminded of something. You guys are rock stars. You're amazing. Way to go. All right. 
the, the challenge here is this. Forgetfulness is one of the biggest causes of failure and sin in our lives. You guys ever think about that? We forget and we sin. Well, what do we forget? Well, we forget who God is. We forget what he's done in our life. We forget how he saved us. We forget that we have a new identity in Christ. We forget those things. When you forget those things, you forget to respond in the way that we're meant to respond. We're meant to respond in godly ways. We're meant to respond by devoting ourselves to good works. We're meant to respond by making disciples. We're meant to respond by loving one another. When we forget those things, we wake up and we act differently, right? This is when we talk about studying scripture. We talk about Bible plans. We talk about spending time with the Lord on a regular basis. It's not because somebody one day said, this is what people in church should do. It's because we need to be reminded, right? We need to hear the gospel on a regular basis. We need to read the gospel on a regular basis. We need to pray to the Lord on a regular basis. We've got to spend time doing that. Or we'll forget, and you'll be sitting there, and someone will say, did you forget? Let me remind you what's going on here. So that's a kind of a, a running theme in Scripture that you can miss, right? You go through the Old Testament, there's a lot of, of forgetting that, that goes on there. So I used a short phrase in there that's, that's really important to me. It's, it's become a bit of a theme in, in my life and, and teaching. And that phrase is in, in response, okay? So the Christian life is a life of response, not requirements, okay? So many other parts of our life, you have requirements, right? If, if you're in school, raise your hand if you have requirements. All right, most of you are listening. I appreciate you. That's amazing. So if you have a job, raise your hand if you've got requirements. Yeah, we have, we have this. When you're driving down the road, there's a speed limit. You're required to drive below that, right? Close to it, within, within, within range. There's a margin for error here, okay? Most times, depends on who, who you pass. But in, in the Christian life, we have to understand we're not required to do things to gain God's love. We're not required to do things to be saved. Okay? God saves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. He saves us because of what Christ has done, not because of what we have done. Our life is a life of response. Okay? We respond to how God has loved us. We respond to the fact that God has saved us. We respond to the fact that everything that we have is a good gift from him. This is how we are to live our lives. So we're to be people that show perfect courtesy to others. Uh, there's this idea in, in perfect courtesy, right? I don't think that's a phrase that we use day to day, but it's the idea of being meek and gentle. And, and as, I was, as I was preparing, I was thinking, you know, in our society, man, we can view meek as weak, okay? And I want to tell you, meek is not weak, because who was meek? Jesus, okay? Was Jesus weak? Let's do it louder. Was Jesus weak? No, Jesus is not weak, right? Because he can call down 72,000 angels at any point. See, I was like, boom, there's the scripture, almost. So he can call down 72,000 angels at any point. And he, but he tells us, like, the meek shall inherit the earth. 
So we are to be meek, and that's vastly different from weak. And we confuse those things in our society. Some of the meekest people that I know are the strongest people that I know. And they are meek because of the strength. And they're meek because they know where the strength comes from, right? So don't ever get meek and weak confused. We go to verse 3. Paul reminds Titus, another reminder. Another thing today, we're getting reminded of a lot of things because Paul is reminding Titus. He says, they were once what? Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing their days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now, this is a very kind of challenging thing because when I read that, I think, man, that's amazing because that's past tense for Paul and Titus. Like, good for those guys. These are things that we still struggle with, guys. This is what you have to understand. This scripture is not telling you that you'll never struggle with those things, that you'll never feel those things, that you'll never be tempted, or that you'll never sin. What it's telling you is this is not who you are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is not your identity. This is not who you are. And we're continually working through that. All right. So, why are we not that person anymore? Because in verse 4, the word that I want you guys to underline pops up, but. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Look, this is genuinely where everything changes, right? This is where I get a little bit excited. For those of you that know me well, you probably can visualize this. I won't reenact it because Jennifer will be super embarrassed. I'm sitting in a room by myself preparing the scripture. I get all fired up. I start fist pumping. I start shadow boxing. I'm all excited. I'm really thankful that there are no cameras around and that nobody sees what's going on. And Jennifer's currently thankful that I am not doing it. So, but the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. And what did he do? When that appears, what did he do? He what? Saved us. All right, God saved us. So he saved Paul, who's a self-proclaimed chief of sinners. Titus, me, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he saves you. So we're going to go back and look at Ephesians 2 uh, and, sees what, and see what Paul says about what we were doing. So you jump back to Ephesians 2. Uh, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, there's the word again, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Guys, we were not in a situation where we were losing, right? So we we talked earlier like, hey, who's a football fan in here? The reality is a lot of us are, and what happens when your team is down 
And last minute of the game, they come back and they win. How do you act? You, you're excited. You go crazy, right? I've watched some football with you people, and I know it. And some of you have watched football with me, and you know it about me, and you're still friends with me, and I appreciate that, right? Because I know I can be a little intense. I'm aware. It's not my first day with myself. I know when a game's on the line, I'll get a little spun up. We've seen these things happen. But here's the deal, guys. We're not losing. We're dead. Dead. Worse than losing. So we're dead. Christ makes us alive. We're alive in Christ. God saves us, makes us alive in Christ. Changes everything that happens here. Now here's the kicker. Why? We're going to go back to why. Why did God save us? Is it because we're awesome? Did we do something amazing? No. Is it because we did some acts of righteousness? Because we were the coolest kid in class? Because we were the best? No. He saved us because of who he is. According to his mercy. So he talks in here about the washing and the regeneration and the renewal of our spirit. Okay? So I make sure we, before I give you the illustration, I want to make sure we have a dividing line here. God saves us through his spirit. Okay? We repent and, and we're saved. But there's this beautiful outward symbolism that we do in the church okay called baptism all right last couple of weeks we've had some people baptized okay it's an amazing thing that the lord lets us be a part of okay you're literally there's this vision where you're you're dead and you're buried and you're alive okay symbol of how god washes and regenerates us so i'm studying through that this week and I'm reminded of a conversation I had with a friend a year, year and a half ago. Not a friend in this room, so we're okay. We had this very deep conversation about baptism, this very deep conversation about his desire to be baptized. He knows that that's a thing he should do. But there's a fear. There's a fear that after I've been an adult for a period of time, and after I've led for a period of time, and after I've done these things, what will people think, right? My response is, we'll glorify God, right? That's what we'll think. We'll think God's amazing. God's doing something. Guys, I struggle with this. I'm going to say this thing, but I struggle with it. Like, I'm looking out here at some of my closest friends in the world, and I care deeply what they think about me, whether I should or not. The reality is, that pales in comparison to how we should care about being obedient and faithful to the Lord, okay? What I want to do is I want to encourage you, if that's your story, take a step forward and be obedient. If the Lord's changing your heart and you need to repent and be saved, I want you to talk to us at the end of the service today, all right? Don't let what's going on around you interfere with what's going on with you and the Lord, okay? So in verse 7, we get to one of the answers as to why we're saved. There's the so that. So that being justified in his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Guys, that's the only hope we have. That's it. If we don't have that hope, it never gets better than tomorrow. Okay? I'm thankful for the hope of eternal life. Amen? All right. So who does Scripture say 
might become heirs according to your eternal life. Is it just me? Is it an I? Or is it a we? It's a we. It's an us, right? It's the church. We have this hope, not alone, but with each other. Paul is writing to Titus. And by the way, I've struggled the whole week not to type or say Timothy. All right, I'm doing my level best, but I know it's going to happen. So Paul is writing to Titus. Titus is going to read it, and he's going to read it to the whole church. And then guess what happens a couple thousand years later? We read it, okay? This is the word of the Lord. This is how he operates. This is how he does things. And this is also why we don't want you to be alone, right? We want you to be in a community group. We want you to be in Bible studies. We want you to operate in community with one another. So here's the good news. We're going to have a look at, uh, at verse 8 where Paul says, I want you to insist on these things. He starts with a reminder, and now he's insisting. You know why? Because we forget, right? Hey, I'd like to remind you to do something, and then because you're a human being, you're probably not going to, so now I'm going to insist on it, okay? I want to remind you, then I'm going to insist. So Paul's insisting that he goes back and encourage people to do these things, to be focused on good works, to be reminded, to be insisted upon, because we forget and because there are so many things competing for our time, right? We have a million things competing for our time. So here's the good news. We're going to jump to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is what the good news is. That you are truly free from requirement. Okay? You are God's workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus, and the good works for you have been prepared beforehand by God, okay? You are free from requirement, and when you're freed from something, you're not just free for the sake of being free. You're free to something. You're free to respond. You're free to respond for what God has done in your life. You're free to respond in those good works, and you're free to respond on a regular basis in caring for people and doing things and making disciples, and teaching scripture, and doing all of the parts of good work that we see here. And here's the deal. You're created for that, right? I think one of the struggles that we can all have is, am I really? Because maybe, like I can look around the room, and I'm like, I know these guys are definitely created for good works. I don't know that I am, right? You are. And I don't want you to believe me. I want you to believe scripture, right? Because I'm just one of the 57 bald bearded dudes that we have walking around the campus. But scripture matters. Scripture counts. So, and you jump into verse 9. Paul contrasts this with things, right? So he, he launches out, hey, remind them, don't, don't spend your time in these foolish things. And we walk through what some of those foolish things are. And we walk through how we used to spend our lives. And then we find out what God has done in our lives. And then he's going to come back. He insists, right? He's like, I strenuously insist that you do this thing. So he comes back to verse 9. Things not to waste time on, controversies, genealogies, quarrels about the law. Uh, we have a big focus in Scripture on false teachers. A lot of the New Testament, we're just fighting false teachers. People are saying wrong things, and we got to battle it. Uh, in our time, that's like Christian Twitter. Right? And I really struggle to even say Christian Twitter out loud because I'm afraid you're going to go look and then you're going to waste like three hours of your life. Don't do it, but this is where people to go, this is where they go to fight about things that they don't need to fight about. 
Um, I had a funny conversation about this next statement, but I, I promised myself not to make eye contact, so I'm going to just like stare at the wall awkwardly. But because we're all family, like, hey, man, there are some people in the church that I've had to, like, unfollow on social media because there's, like, so much of this. Uh, now I can turn back around. But look, this is the reality, and, and the truth is this, because I want to love people in real life, like, I care about people in real life, and sometimes social media can make us not care. Sometimes we take things that are not real, and we make them real. And I had someone come up to me after the first service, and they were like, was it me? I was like, it was not you. Um, so, so Paul, Paul keeps going. He talks about people that stir up controversies and divisions. And he says, look, warn them once, warn them twice. Have nothing to do with them. And, and this is one of those tough things to reconcile because on one side, we're not supposed to be concerned. With, like, we're not supposed to quarrel. We're not supposed to do these things because those things are not important. Okay, Don't quarrel about the things that are not important. We come over here, false teachers, Divisions in the church, people taking scripture and twisting it, people trying to divide the church. This is real. Spend your time on this, right? Those are worth your time. Those are worth confronting those. Here's the reality, guys. We find people all the time in leadership positions. They want influence. They want authority. They want all these things. If that's you, right, and this is just as direct as I can be, if you're a teacher, leader, deacon, elder, staff, volunteer, whatever you do, if that's you, stop. Repent. Go the other way. Don't do it. And if you see it happening, try to make it better. Be someone that helps resolve that situation. So, Paul is passionate about the gospel. He wants people to grow in the Lord. He wants you to make disciples. He wants you to do good works. Hey, guys, so do we. For the same reason, you're going to grow in Christ. We're going to glorify the Lord in doing these things. So, um, we're about to come to the table. We're about to come and have communion together. Before we do that, I very seriously want to say, look, at the end of the service, we're going to have elders and pastors, and we're going to have staff and deacons, Man, if you need to talk about something, if you need to pray about something, if God's calling you to salvation, if you have conviction about baptism, don't leave. Come and talk to us, okay? So I'm going to ask our elders, our staff, our deacons, if you guys will come, come to the tables. Um, and this table, believer, is for you. For all that have been forgiven of their sins for all those that God have saved this is for you if you're not a believer we would ask that you skip this and, and consider the gift of salvation that God has for you so you guys if we if we look at what scripture says um, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body that is for you do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All right, guys, let's come to the tables. <laughs>